Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello, good morning, and welcome along to Daily Digest from Football Digest with myself, Ned Keating. Joining me this morning is David Hughes uh, as we run through the back pages on this Tuesday morning. Uh, David, I trust you're well. Um, obviously, a, a brilliant win for England's women last night, and that's where we're going to we're going to start uh, across the back pages, uh, across most back pages this morning. Of course, you you kind of can't escape it. I suppose when you do beat someone like Norway, uh, two times winners of the women's Euros in the past, when you beat them eight nil, it kind of does deserve to be uh, to be back page news. Um, and I think after England opened against Austria, there was talk about it being a, a bit of a nervous win, shall we say, you know, kind of obviously hosts, there's always that extra pressure on them going into those opening games of a, of, of a major championship. So you kind of always just want to get the win. doesn't matter how it comes, you get the win. But last night against Norway was, was really a show from England of, of what they can do when it all clicks and my, what a show it was. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was uh, it was quite ironic, wasn't it, that uh, Martin Sjogren's Norway manager claimed all the pressure was on England. You touched on it y- yourself, but I mean, in, in terms of emph- emphatic victories, and I don't think you get better, do you, really, than than what England produced last night? Um, you know, eight goals. There was twenty six attempts, fourteen on target, an xG of well over six. I mean, sometimes on these kind of crazy, crazy games with the crazy score lines, it can be. Uh, shall we say a little bit fortuitous that the uh, the result uh, finishes what it, what it did, but certainly wasn't the case last night. You know, England fully deserved the the eight nil win, um, and it, it does really kind of I say get everybody back on side after that. As you called it, nervous first game against Austria. You know, the confidence is going to be really high again, and and now you start thinking, okay, well, you know, how far can this England side go? Can they? Can they do what everybody's hoping they can do and go all the way? In terms of, uh, obviously, as you can see, for, for those that are watching along, a brilliant headline on the back page of the uh, of the Express as well. Must flag that one. Fuel Fiesta made me smile when I saw that this morning. But in terms of the tournament on a whole, we saw France uh, put Italy to the sword on, uh, on on Sunday, I think it was. Um, to And people were saying, oh, they've put down the marker. But for England and for this performance, as bad as Norway were, um, and of course, they were horrific and they never kind of looked to, to rectify that. I mean, especially down the left-hand side and, and Beth Mead running down the right, mm-hmm. sorry, against their left-back is what I mean to say. Um, Torrey time tormented them, um, almost like what Lionel Messi does to left back <laughs> on a regular, <laughs> regular basis. Um, but as, as bad as Norway were, this also serves as a, as a marker from England that if you have an off day, we will find the ways to exploit you. We will continue to target them. And when we get the opportunities, we're going to put them away. She said there, there are times when we're in other major championships down the years that, that, you know, England or other teams or whoever have, have been dominant, but they've never turned that dominance into goals. England last night, every time they went forward, you expected them to find the back of the net. Yeah, which is, you know, a really sign, a really good sign, I should say, for what what's about to come. But, uh, it, it, it's it's always difficult in these situations to determine, you know, how bad the opposition were and, you know, just how good on this occasion England were. You know, I mean, let's not forget, we're, we're talking about a, a nation in Norway who were only ranked uh, three places below England in the in the FIFA rankings. You know, they, they come into the game on the back of a, a dominant 4-1 victory themselves against Northern Ireland. Okay, we know Northern Ireland aren't the, aren't the toughest of opposition, but at the end of the day, the confidence would have been fairly 
fairly high in their camp. Yeah. Um, but they come into this game and, and you know, after that first goal goes in, 12 minutes in, um, it's, it's all one-way traffic. Could they have maybe adjusted things a little bit? Uh, you touched on it there. You know, could they adjust the things a little bit on 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 that left side? Possibly, yeah, but they didn't, and and, and England exposed it ruthlessly. And you are right. Suddenly, you know, the, the likes of Germany, France, teams who who come into the court tournaments, you know, as as big nations, um, you know, with great kind of history in the tournaments, uh, they come into it now. They they started well, but they'll be looking over at England and thinking, okay, well. They could be a problem for us, uh, and it really does. You use the same set the mark. I think that's correct. Um, it's it was that kind of victory. It really kind of sent a message to everybody else in this tournament that England could be the side to beat. In terms of England's next game, they're up against Northern Ireland on Friday. England already through to the quarterfinals. Northern Ireland already out. You would forgive Serena Vigman if she was looking at that game. Um, and even last night as well with her substitutions, uh, looking at already into the quarterfinals, resting players, um, you know, trying to rotate the squad and keep it fit. But then it does come with the caveat that you do lose a bit of momentum, doesn't it? That you mm-hmm. do, if you do start chopping and changing, make wholesale changes. Um, you know, we've seen it in, in past major tournaments, haven't we? That the teams qualify after two games, make a load of change, and they look brilliant in those two games, make a load of change in the third, and, and they're out in the first game in the knockouts. So with Serena Fiverr, does she have that, that kind of balancing act in that, yes, you do want to rest some of your key players. And and yeah, there's certainly some that have been sitting on the bench in the first two games that want that chance to show, actually, I can also come into this squad when, with and when you need me. But also then keeping that momentum going into the, to the knockout stages of this tournament. Yeah, yeah, you've seen you, you've got the correct term again. I think it is definitely a balancing act. I mean, you know, the first two games, uh, she's gone with the same start level eleven in both, and obviously they've they've delivered, uh, which is good. But I, I mean, I, I personally, I expect to see some changes um, in in these tournaments. The turnarounds are so short, aren't they? And you know, no disrespect to Northern Ireland, but obviously there's going to be tougher opposition ahead for England. Um, I think it's key that you know the very best players do get some form of break. Uh, that being said, uh, I do think it's important to keep the momentum going. You know, it's really good if we if there's an opportunity where we can maybe just make a handful of changes, um, just enough to give some of those players who are, who could still play important roles later in the tournament who who haven't had the chance to to show the best form yet, if they can come in. Um, you know, produce a, a good display. Hopefully, it'll lead to a comfortable victory, and then um, they can uh, hopefully play. You know, an important role later down the line. If there's, it needs to be changes from the from the bench in in bigger games against better opposition. Yeah, I suppose there is that that kind of point there that you touched on at the end there about making sure that you also have right. We're here and we're talking about resting players and keeping them fit, but then there's also that idea that there are these players that haven't played so far maybe not played as many minutes as they are so that if it does come to a point in the tournament you also need them to be ready and again it goes back to that balance in it, doesn't it of you want the guys and you want the momentum but then you've also got to make sure that that should the worst happen injury suspension of course at some point you're never going to go through a tournament and you have your yeah. entire start 11 to pick every single game you need to make these sure sure that these players are also ready to come in and make that impact Exactly. Yeah, you know, you, you, these we're, we're talking about really big games, big occasions against top top sides, and you know, in the game, you know, players playing at the very highest level uh, in Europe. You know, you don't want to be turning to players who've not really had the chance to experience the tournament so far. You know, not not at those crucial minutes under the belt. Um, we've saw that, you know, in, in so many other previous tournament 
not not just women's, obviously men's. We've seen it in the men's game as well. It's it's something that in the past has been the problem because players come in cold. Um, they haven't really got the experience and they just don't mind to produce the best. And you know, this is a really strong England squad. There's key players there who who can still have you know kind of starring roles, even if they've been quite quiet so far. So yeah, definitely. I think if there's a chance we can bring one or two of them in. Uh, to, for this game against Northern Ireland, then hopefully you've got at least kind of a core 14, 15 who you're looking at and thinking, you know, these could these could be key between um, now and whatever's to come in the tournament. Moving on to uh, one of the upper mornings back page stories now, and it's the uh, back page lead on the on the Daily Mirror. Uh, a lovely story from our man in uh, in America following Chelsea this preseason. Darren Lewis is out there for us, um, reporting that Chelsea are now in the hunt for Robert Lewandowski as well. For much of the summer, it has been reported that he was likely to leave Bayern Munich and go to Barcelona, but with Barcelona's well documented financial struggles, it looks like they're they're struggling to stump up the cash that Bayern want. And Chelsea themselves, David, they they look like they're ready to to kind of pounce on that um, and make him their their leading man. Obviously, they're in the market for striker. Has been talked about Cristiano Ronaldo in the past. We'll come on to him a little bit later on uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has been linked. But now it looks like Robin Lewandowski might be the man to to lead the line for the Blues going forward next season. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you if you roll back twelve months, what, what's probably happened here is you know Chelsea's long term plans have been scuppered because of how things have panned out with Lukaku. You know that was obviously a huge investment that was meant to be uh, the number nine issue, the number nine position solved for you know the next few years at very least. Here we are, twelve months later, and 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 Chelsea need a top class number nine again. Um, there's few better than Lewandowski showing that over the you know the last five six years. He's arguably the best number nine there's there's been in that in that period, certainly in terms of consistency. Uh, and now, and I guess you know with the likes of the links to Lewandowski, obviously there's the Ronaldo talk as well. I think they're looking for just a short term solution for the season ahead. Who can play that role and do it and do it consistently well Lewandowski is definitely that uh, it's just whether you know they're going to be able to get uh, a deal over the line Will he be the man to finally break that number nine curse for Chelsea I, I, I think probably going back to, to the days of Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank almost they've not had a successful uh, number nine at the club and you look for the players that they've had wearing it um, obviously honourable mentions for Steve Sidwell and Khalid Boularouche as well but <laughs> the calibre of strikers that they've had at least in that shirt rather than defenders and midfielders the calibre of strikers that they've had have had success elsewhere. They come to Chelsea, and for whatever reason, it's it's just all falling apart for them. And there would be Lewandowski's track record is obviously you know a lot better than, for example, Avro Morata's or, or you know Fernando Torres off the top. Just of a head, little but, bit, <laughs> yeah, just just a tiny bit. But is is he the man that that also then crucially fits into this Chelsea squad as well in the way that they're looking to play? Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> I guess the, the, the obvious one is if anyone can, you'd expect him to be able to, you know, just given how great he's been as a number nine over the years. The, the wider issue is, I still don't think, certainly we talk, I mean, you're, you're talking about the, the kind of wider Chelsea case, which, you know, does does seem to be something that's been consistent over the last 10, 15 years. But, you know, certainly we just focus on, on more recent history and specifically Lukaku. I don't. I still think we're in a position where we don't actually know what the issue was. You know, is it solely down to Lukaku just not being the right fit for this Chelsea side, or you know, is there is there more of T 
team-led issues, um, certainly in the structure of the side and maybe not playing best to a number nine. Uh, obviously, when Lukaku was at Inter, you know, he, he tended to play in a two. That very rarely happened at, at Chelsea. I mean, and if you look at Lewandowski, Lewandowski sorry, at Bayern Munich, you know, he, he almost exclusively played in formations like a 4 2 3 1. You know where the number nine role is is very very distinguished. It's very clear as to what you're meant to be doing. You know you you are spearheading that attack. At Chelsea it was a little bit different. You know the, the formations were different. Obviously it's the back three. Sometimes Lukaku was within a three. Sometimes he wasn't. It was it was a little bit less straightforward. So I guess the point I'm making is there still could be issues here in terms of is this Chelsea side best suited to having a strict number nine profile in there then I don't think we know the answer to that yet but obviously these conversations are going to going to, going to be going on going on at the club you know uh, to Chelsea Avenue I think it'll be very very clear um, to them you know they they've got they're much more privy to to the data and everything behind the scenes to know what they believe the issues would have been and if they believe it is simply they just need a, a better suited number nine then then Lewandowski would will clearly be that so we'll I, I guess we'll wait and see it, it, you would you'd imagine this won't be a successful move if it happened but um yeah there's no guarantee that any striker will succeed at Stamford Bridge so yeah it would be a it would be one that that we'd have to wait and see I guess. I'm not sure if you can hear it in the background, but I think my next door neighbours are trying to hurry me up and get on to talk about Ronaldo because I think I can just hear him upstairs screaming, Sue! Um, <laughs> never do that impression ever again on this show. Um, but just finally on, on Chelsea, David, with their transfer uh, with their transfer strategy this summer, and, and I think I'm using that term very loosely with the point that I'm about to make next, is there almost a scattergun approach because they've been linked with Ronaldo and now they're being linked with Lewandowski and they still talk about Raheem Sterling coming in. They obviously clearly know that they want to add to their attack, but these are all very different players at very different stages in their careers that obviously try to add different things. And I wouldn't say, quite frankly, with Raheem Sterling, I don't think Chelsea need too many other players in those wide positions. Mm. And then they don't really play with wide men in those positions anyway. They were kind of more, uh, almost like inside forwards, but very tight behind the attacker. It, it, it seems very confused um, and obviously compared to say Liverpool and Man City and even Tottenham who are all getting their business done very quickly Chelsea seems to be lagging behind a little bit somewhat of course look, the change in ownership does mean that there probably is like a, a little slowdown in that process but it almost looks like they're going to go into the season playing catch up yeah and uh, there seems to be a lot of shortism uh, around the recruitment this summer you know it, it doesn't seem to be building towards anything a bit more long term it's kind of okay we need to get some big profiles and you can make this team successful as soon as possible uh, which on one hand you get it you know you, Chelsea are keen to close the gap on City and Liverpool uh, desperate to you know be competing for the Premier League title again um, so if, if you inject you know the, these kind of big names in there you know a Ronaldo Sterling you know can they help them close the gap immediately possibly but for the reasons you said possibly not as well but yeah it, it, it does definitely feel less structured uh, than as in the past and certainly to the, to the teams that we've just mentioned I mean Obviously, Tottenham, they've brought in Richarlison, you know, still a young-ish player, 24, 25, um, you know, can can go on to bigger and better things and can kind of be a key player for them for, for several years. Darwin Nunes, obviously a, a young top striker, again, someone who can be kind of integral to Liverpool's success over the next few years. Haaland, you 
know we've covered that one many a time. We we know it's a similar situation there. But then you look at Chelsea and they're going for Lewandowski, you know, wrong side of 30, Ronaldo, 37, is he now Ronaldo? Um Sterling got I mean, Sterling as well. He's he's well in his prime years. So it's there's definitely different approaches uh between maybe some of the other top Premier League sides and Chelsea, and maybe it'll make them immediately successful. That that's possibly the aim, but um, it 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 just feels for me a little bit short term and a little bit less structured than perhaps it has in the past. Just finally this morning, moving on to a story on the back page of the Star, as well as on the back page of the Mirror and the Express, and at the behest of my neighbours, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, his future remains very much up in the air. Uh, he's obviously not on Man United's pre-season tour at the minute. They're supposed to be playing uh, Liverpool in Thailand this afternoon, uh, but he's not. There, he's not expected to join in in Australia. Ralph, uh, Ralph Rangnick, I'm, I'm thinking it's the old Man United boss, Eric <laughs> Ten Hag. Even there has been a change in the summer, but Eric Ten Hag, adamant in his pre-match press conference uh, on on Monday, saying that Cristiano Ronaldo is not for sale and that he's planning for life with him at Man United. Of course, every manager is going to say that. They're never going to say that one mm. of their star players is is up for sale. But to an extent, how much can you keep unhappy players who want out in your squad? Yeah, I think it's uh, this is a problematic one for, uh, for United. I think they're in a really tough position because, um, and, and to an extent, I think some of it goes back to not landing uh, Darwin Nunes or even someone similar earlier in the window because I don't think the club could find an, an ad- adequate replacement in time for the new season. And I actually think, in all honesty, although he was a, he was a key player in terms of the goals he scored, with Ten Hag coming in, and this new era at the club, I, I think a clean break in terms of selling them earlier on in the in, in the summer might have been the worst thing in the world, providing you know there was a an, a replacement coming in. Uh, but now they find themselves in a little bit of a difficult situation where they kind of need Ronaldo and his ability to score goals to to to, to lead them to lead the line, um, meaning that you have to be a little bit more flexible than probably Ten Hag himself would have liked to be uh, coming into coming into the new club, you know, trying to stamp his authority on the side. And and this Ronaldo saga has kind of become very quickly a sideshow and the kind of sideshows that we've become used to with United and the stuff that United fans, I'm sure, you know, those listening now would, would, are so desperate to see the end of. And, and instead, you know, it's continuing um, and it has been just a little bit of a distraction in, in Ten Hag's early um, early start at the club, you know, early into his tenure. You mentioned it about there being a test for him and I suppose then there isn't going to be a win for him really in, in this situation that I can see because he'll either lose a star man that wants out and it will weaken his stance almost immediately early doors um, in that other players would then know oh well or, or at least think he might be a soft touch and that they can also force their way out of the club should Man United not get back to the levels that they've been accustomed to and if he does win in his own terms and, and keeps on to an elder there's every chance that he's not going to be putting it in as much because he's unhappy at being there and he wanted out and you kind of worry about his his mentality and how that might affect the dressing room at United and we know the cliques that that kind of exist in there. It's not what you want when you're trying, as you said there, trying to have a fresh start at a club, trying to, you know, kind of begin this new era and try and get back to the glory days. This is completely opposite of, of really what everyone would have wanted. Yeah, exactly that. And I think it's, I mean, you, you touched on a little bit there, but 
for years, this United dressing room has been known to be slightly toxic, you know, plenty of player power. And it was unanimous, unanimously agreed, I think, you know, when Ten Hag was going in, that this is something he needed to change. He needed to strip the players off that power a little bit, move on some players who maybe played a big part in that. Uh, he's done that. Um, and trying to get his own authority on, on the group. But I think the fear now would be that this this early issue is is undermining his authority already. I mean, you look at Ronaldo and, and he's he's come back from the summer break late. Well, he's not even back yet, is he? He's not travelled with the club on the preseason tour. And I, I know family issues have been touted as the reason, and perhaps you know later down the line that'll turn out to be the truth. And in which in, in which case, fair play. But reading between the lines, certainly at this stage, it doesn't look great that he's still not come back. It doesn't look very respectful to the new manager. Clearly, we know that players are going to be talking between themselves as well about this. Um, and yeah, it just it, it does muddy the waters a little bit for Ten Hag early on. And it's something that I'm sure he'll be desperate to get resolved. Um because it it, it it just not it's it, it's not what he needs. I think he's got a lot of things to sort between now and the start of the season. Um, you'd be wanting to focus a lot on the football aspects of this squad, and and instead you've got these these unwanted dramas. David, we'll we'll leave it there for now. But thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Really appreciate your time as always. Of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the transfer window and from the women's Euros uh, across the Daily Mirror, Daily Start, and Daily Express, as well as all of Reach's regional titles. But for now, it's goodbye.